President Nixon in the 1970s declared a war on drugs. But in 1982, this war was enforced by Ronald Reagan when hip hop was still wearing diapers. Now, cultural critic and music journalist Torre says that this war would not only shape the urban community, but it would mold hip hop, a culture whose undercurrent remains black and Latino male anger at a nation that declared these young men monsters, abandoned them, and destroyed any chance they had at accomplishing or achieving the American dream. So if our societal standard of the American dream from working hard and working legally, then anyone who can't or doesn't or find some other means to do that becomes a villain. Now, in the beginning, hip-hop was not pro-violent, pro-drug It was socially conscious. It was anti-drug almost always. And the music actually addressed the societal woes and did more of a narration than a glorification. I mean, in 1982, you have the message by Grandmaster Flash. You got Run DMC, who talks about the, the rise of the unemployment rate in the early 80s. These societal woes, but they're narrating them. They're not glorifying them. So what happened? How did it change? Well, a shift happened in 1983. The unemployment rate in the urban community skyrocketed to 21%. Now, this was coupled and followed with FBI anti-drug funding, which ironically happened at the same time the CIA was giving aid to Central and South America, who just so happened to use that aid to traffic drugs back into the United States. Now, whether you like to call this a political oversight or a misstep or an outright scandal, poor inner-city communities caught the brunt of the bluff. And nobody forced these communities to take part in illegal drug sales. But that skyrocketing unemployment rate, coupled with this widespread availability of drugs, made it kind of hard to turn down the drug trade. For a lot of young men, it was the only option they saw for chasing the American dream. It's unfortunate. And then what happens? Well, the 90s happened. Now the 90s painted this narrative using hip-hop. Hip-hop was like the canvas to speak about this new world of crack, killings, prison, militarized police forces, right? I mean, it was like the prohibition era had re-emerged. I mean, prison sentences were as long as basketball scores. I mean, the communities were being destroyed by this powerfully addictive drug, and the incarceration rate in the United States was higher than any other place in the world, destroying and damaging countless families. By 1995, nearly a quarter of non-college educated black men were in prison. And so, you know, for us, hip-hop was this audio documentary. It was telling us and detailing these stories of prison and, and murder and, and gangs and, and drugs, but it was also communicating to us our story, what we were going through, right? So now we're looking at the society and this environment that's been destroyed. I mean, drugs, for rappers in the 90s who grew up in the 80s and 90s, like myself, dominated our economic possibilities. Like, I found myself idolizing and looking up to drug dealers and to gang members. It was the world that I existed in. And it was unfortunate because as a child, I watched it happen. I watched families and communities go from being laid off, lacking jobs, community being destroyed, 
You know, people searching and, and hoping for financial restitution and, and help. And all of us wanted to go to college, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't a financial reality. Our parents were the products of the civil rights era. They weren't even allowed a quality formal education. So high paying careers, not really an option. I watched again and again families work odd jobs, move from city to city, chasing factory work, only to find there was none available. And then drugs came. And then when drugs came, it was like a gold rush. Literally like a gold rush. Now in the 80s, nobody understood the implications. But the 90s, it recapped. I lost every man that was important to me, including my father, to the infestation of drugs or the war against them. So yeah, in the world outside my community, Ronald Reagan was a hero. But in my backyard, he was a villain. I mean, how could Ronald Reagan possibly be a hero to us? How could Scarface possibly not? And so like I said, in the 90s, you know, hip-hop painted this response. You know, there was this, this big response to all of the stuff that we were seeing in our environment. The murder, the mayhem, the prison, the death, the destruction. And rappers, you know, were speaking a language that we could relate to. I grew up feeling like I was being raised by Lil Wayne, by Tupac, by, you know, Jay-Z. And in order to understand who I was as a man, I had to construct my own warped sense of masculinity because hip-hop was the language of a generation of men without fathers. So I'm finding my role models in drug dealers and gang members, piecing together what masculinity looks like. I mean, truthfully, in order to wear the badge of authentic masculinity, you had to be associated in some kind of way with this wayward lifestyle. I certainly needed it to get a record deal. And so what was happening was hip-hop was now being stigmatized as the equivalent of criminal. And guess what we did, unfortunately? We embraced that stigma. Why we do that? Well, it's a classic psychological strategy. Michelle Alexander writes in her book, The New Jim Crow, that embracing your stigma is a political act, an act of defiance in a society that seeks to demean a group of people based on an unalterable trait. We found ourselves in a nation that saw us as criminals, so we embraced it. Besides, it's good marketing. I mean, in the 80s, hip-hop's target audience was black, male, and urban. By the 90s and 2000s, it was spread out in the suburbs, and the largest purchasers of hip-hop were white suburban males. So, when the music was indigenous to its own community, it was positive, socially aware, and anti-drug. When it broadened out and diversified to the suburbs, it embraced criminality, sold it for profit. Socially consciousness and positivity was out. Criminality and gangsterism was in. And now that love for Pulp Fiction, that love for Godfather and a good old Western shoot 'em up is now embracing these street tales of rap music. And you know, hip-hop could have grown to challenge the world. Instead, rappers glorified it, embraced it, sold it for profit. The biggest artists embrace this identity and this lifestyle and they sell it, they make millions, and they're looked upon as heroes for making it out the ghetto. Those who don't make it are looked upon as villains, arrested, conveniently warehoused. In many cases, hip-hop has failed its community. However, I believe it can still be a tool of resistance. Artists like Public Enemy, Kendrick Lamar, and Lauryn Hill have fought back with music while others, others have become philanthropists and activists and created jobs in their communities. Hip-hop does not have to be a pawn of villainy in exchange for profit. It can be used as a tool to tell the story of how things got here, how they began. I'm a living, breathing testament. This is my story. 
I didn't just get here by happenstance. I, I get here because I'm the product of people who were humble enough to not see me and write me off as a villain, but embrace me as a would-be hero in the making. So I say this in closing. Say every character has a story. Sometimes those stories are untold or told from the wrong vantage point. Today you've heard one story. May we all have the humility to hear many more.